So welcome back to the Edge of Lounge podcast. We have guest Wayne Dahl today. Uh, welcome, Wayne. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Wes. Glad to be here. Um, so just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your educational background and so forth. Um, all right. Well, I'm, I'm 35 years old. Um, I come from the suburbs of Philadelphia, um, which I probably would not necessarily bring up, except I do think that it had a pretty significant impact on um, me as a teacher, um, which we might get to later on. But um, I came out to, to York College um, in the early 2000s, and I secondary education, social studies. Um, had a couple of job offers down in North Carolina, uh, a couple interviews up this way and in the Pinos, and um, I settled on Spring Grove because it's where student taught, and um, I was very comfortable there. Um, so I taught for 11 years at, at Spring Grove Area High School. I was a social studies teacher, um, American history, too. So our curriculum changed here and there, but for the most part, Revolutionary War up to present day. And in the 11 years in which I taught, um, I taught inclusion um, for for many years. I taught honors. I taught regular ed. And um, typically I taught seven classes a day for 42 minutes a pop. So that's kind of my educational background as a teacher. Uh, I went to um, Temple shortly after becoming a teacher um, to pursue my master's in master's in education to become a principal um took three courses there i was very successful but i felt uh i didn't have the background in education as a teacher to really pursue administration at that time around the same time for the future which was a grant from the state came out and if you were selected for that grant then you took part in a master's education or 21st century learning and so I, I decided to go with that instead so I got a master's from Wilkes University in 21st century and then probably around year 10 or so time um, asked me to reconsider pursuing administration again I'd taken on some leadership roles among faculty and um, so I went back to uh to school this time i chose to continue at shippensburg because they were willing to accept my transfer credits from temple and some other schools were not just because they didn't take transfer credits in their education program so i went to shippensburg i graduated after about a year and a half and um i graduated in december i started applying for jobs early spring of 2018 i guess it was um and uh, I got West York Area High School to be an assistant principal, and I have been there for two years. So that is my educational background. Wow. So in that little over a decade, you've covered a lot. I mean, you've seen major changes in education, but why education? What made you get into education? You know, it's, it's funny. And, and Wes, you and I have talked a little bit about this previously, um, but I, I enjoyed high school. I hated <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't really enjoy my subject matters. In fact, I was not a I was not a strong high school student by any way, shape or form. Um, and I think a lot of it was I was disconnected from a lot of my teachers. Um, I was I'm the third of fourth, ch- the third of four children in my family. Um, 
my high school had about 1,100 kids in it. My brother finished second in his graduating class, got the highest SAT score in the history of Upper Moreland High School, went on to become an emergency room doctor. Dr. Carissa graduated second in her high school class, went to Colgate University and has all sorts of degrees, is currently a midwife. And, um, you know, stigmas. And when I was through school, it's not that any of my teachers treated me poorly or anything like that. They were all very respectful and, and, and nice to me, but I wasn't my brother and I wasn't my sister. And, and they knew who my brother and my sister were. And I was just disengaged all the all the time. And, um, you know, I got in some trouble and things of that nature. And my favorite subject was history, not because of what I was learning in school, but because of things like Sid Meier's civilization and because of conversations with my brother and, and, and a game called SimCity and things like that. And I always felt that um, my teachers, my history teachers, kind of missed the boat with, with, with a large group of people, including me. And so I always loved the idea of, of trying to do it in a way that would connect to more helping people. I've always been passionate. was and education in school was the to help improve people's lives and help make meaningful connections very cool so what do you love most about social studies you said you connected through you know Sid Meier's Civilization which is a great game so what do you love most about the subject matter oh man um, you can go a lot of directions with that um I love politics. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I am fascinated by the fact that everything you study, everything you learn about, everything you do is history. Um, It connects everything. It connects math. It connects art. It connects um, anything you can think of. And, And social studies really is the studying of relationships and how people use those. Um, to their advantages and better themselves out of it, whether it be relationship to land, like with geography, relationship to materials or resources, relationships to, to money and economics, relationships to other people, relationships to, to your neighbors, to your friends, to people you don't get along with, to, you know, all the way up to other nations. And, and I think that um, social studies being the study of relationships and how humans, not just humans, but others just is just fascinating in terms of, um, I think I took 26 history courses in college and uh, 22 of them were American history. So, so in terms of my actual love of history, it would be American history, but that is why I like um, social studies as a whole, I guess. Absolutely. And I feel like there's so much we can learn from it other than, you know, I think everybody's still stuck in the stigma of social studies being you remember dates and times and periods and that's it. And we've moved so much further past that. You know, Wes, I taught for um, 11 years and I required my kids to know three dates. Um, They had to know December 7th, 1941. Um, You know, that that was a requirement for me. They had to know. They had to know November 22nd, 1963. And um, they had to know September 11th, 2001. Outside of that. 
I didn't ask him to know dates. I expected him to be able to maybe connect arrows or place things in a, in a, in a rather accurate chronological order from a large scale of things. Like I expect you to know that the civil war happened before world war one, you know, but, but I asked that because I think it helps with context, but in terms of actual knowing dates. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and, and to build on that too, you know, in education today, Wes, it's like there's a great awakening about this social emotional intelligence and the social emotional things we need to get in tune with with our kids. Social emotional intelligence has been taught and learned about in the social studies realm since before Freud. Absolutely. Know? That's a good like, point. You took you took psychology classes. You took sociology like that's what that stuff is. And it's so all encompassing. Um, yeah. To, to build on what you said, I mean, I mean, social studies is just so all-encompassing. Absolutely. And I think we also, you know, how the health and PE department carries a stigma. I feel like social studies carries a stigma that we're trying desperately to push past. You know, and it's our job and it's our responsibility to change that stigma. I, I think I think the truth is that in some regards, that stigma is fair. In, in, not Not for everybody, but, you know, we all probably had history teachers that kind of sat down and pressed play a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and, you know, I talked to the health and PE teacher. It's a department I supervise. I talk to teachers all the time. And, um, you know, once in a while, I'll mention that, you know, they they are everything. The stigma is not, you know, they are they are wonderful, just excellent, excellent teachers. They care. They go above and beyond in so many regards. And and, you know, so we we happen to have a great department for that where where we're at at West York with our with our um, phys ed department and our social studies department does a good job, too. But there is that stigma and and it's our job to change that stigma. And that's 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 the reality. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, you spend a ton of time in the classroom. You've experienced so much. You moved from the classroom, and I've seen your passion with education to administration. Why make that jump when it doesn't seem like you had lost the passion to teach yet? Well, I haven't lost the passion to teach. Um, I love teaching. It's it's still one of the things that um, I love the most. I know later on we're going to talk a little bit about what educational leadership is, and, and I'll get into that a little more. But um, the reality is, Wes, when I interviewed, um, I was very honest with prospective employees, and I said, look, you know, um, if I don't get this job, I'm not going to be happy about it. But the bottom line is I love what I do. I'm not I'm not running from anything. Um, I enjoy teaching. I love teaching. I have absolutely no problem going back into the classroom tomorrow and getting to work. Um, I love it. The reason I chose leadership or administration, well, there's several reasons. Um, I mentioned before that I was, um, I went back to school to be an administrator at, at the bequest of my assistant superintendent at the time, who then became the superintendent of Spring Grove Area School District. Um, I've always had a passion to lead. Um, I, I, I believe strongly that um, inaction is as, is as big of a sin as action. You know, those who do wrong, um, those who do wrong are, are, are not to be let off the hook. But those who let people do wrong and don't interfere, they shouldn't be let off the hook either. You know, I always ask, I always ask the question about, um, you know, like Germany and all these other things. I said, how? How does this happen? You know, how, 
How can people stand by, idly stand by, and watch bad people do bad things? And um, the reality is that I think that that mindset has always led me to jump into conversations, um, to to take an interest, to take sides on situations. Um, I told you before I love politics, and and having that that burn to make sure that good is done um, has always driven me. I come from a, a family where um, anything you do or say is criticized one <laughs> way or the other, good or bad. And, 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 and so a lot of that rubbed off on me and um, I've always been inquisitive. I've always liked asking questions. I've always liked listening. I've always liked looking at things and trying to, to figure out how things can best be done. Um, and so that's part of it. Then there's part of it that is as a teacher, I loved teaching 200 kids every day. Um, it was powerful. And, you know, I coached too. And when I coached, I coached middle school and I coached three sports for middle school. And then I taught high school and track and field. When I was the head coach of the junior high down there, I had over a hundred kids and basketball, you know, I'd coach and I'd coach 25 kids and cross country. I'd coach and I'd have 20 kids in junior high. And then in high school where I taught all the levels, when kids walked across the stage in graduation, it was like 5% of kids that would walk that I hadn't coached or taught, or I was also an advisor for ninth grade and 10th grade class. So like I had the ability to, to, to influence so many kids in a way that made me feel so great. And then I got out of coaching as my family grew and my, my influence started to wane a little bit to really just my classroom and kids I would see in the hallway. And so I had this deep desire to have a more of a macro impact. Um, again, as a teacher, you know, you impact those 200 kids every single day, but your, your influence is limited to those 200 kids in a sense. Right. Um, and the kids that walk by your hallway, classroom environment, you know, th- those things that you bring out to the hallway and things of that nature. Kids come up to me all the time that I never taught and they know me and have conversations with me. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. Um, but but I wasn't able to make decisions that impacted everybody. And I felt like um, being an administrator would provide me the opportunities to do that. Um and it has, and it has. And so that's very rewarding. So that's a big reason why I went into administration leader, administrative leadership. Probably the biggest reason is this passion for having a greater impact um, than I could have as a classroom teacher. Absolutely. So those experiences, like you've, you know, you saw from teaching how you impacted kids. And I think you're absolutely right. Like those 200 kids, we can impact highly. But I think you learn that in a leadership role, a higher leadership role, you impact so much more. And I think that's a lot of time young teachers that are thinking about getting an administration, like think about some of those relationships you build in your classroom or like they're the last a lifetime. So how have you used all those experiences in the classroom in your current role as an administrator where you're not teaching to students per se, or, you know, teaching in a classroom? You know, one of the things that I focus on, um, and I focused on it as a teacher before I even knew what it was, was domain two now, classroom environment from Danielson. And I do think that um, leaders set culture and leaders set tone for everybody in a building. And so 
I, I think about the influence I can have in the hallways, um, greeting kids, talking to kids, you know, and, and it's never, it's never the wrong time to do what's right. And I remember when I was at Spring Grove, my principal at the time, Rosemary Cuglieri, she and I were walking down the hallway and there was a piece of trash on the opposite side of the wall where we were. And she diverted, walked over, continued our conversation, picked up the trash and threw it out. And that, I saw that. I saw her do that. And it stuck with me. And I thought, you know, every time there's a piece of trash in the hallway moving forward, I'm picking it up. Because people see me pick it up. But more importantly, Wes, people see me if I don't pick it up. It's those little things that turn into big things. It, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, if I turn my back on a situation, if I turn my back on, on something that's being done, I'm permitting it. You know, if something wrong is happening, if something not okay is happening, and I don't address it, I'm condoning it. And, 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 you know, so, so I try to keep that mindset. Um, also, though, I work with a lot of student organizations. I oversee student council. I mean, I oversee the advisors. Of course, I am, um, you know, overseeing departments. I love getting in classrooms. I get in classrooms as much as I can. Um, I try to do walkthroughs very frequently. Because, A, I think it's very important for, for teachers to have us in the room for evaluative purposes and advice and feedback and supervision and help out. But I think it's really important for kids to see us in the classrooms, for kids to know that we care. You know, when I got to West York, I was told flat out by many parents that their kids barely knew who their administrators were, Um, that when they went to community events, administrators were never there. They couldn't identify them. And and so, you know, I I feel like that was something that that I well, hey, I'm passionate about being in classrooms. I'm passionate about being being involved with the community, but I feel like the community needs to know who you are and, and the kids need to know who you are and you build relationships that way. You know, I sat down in an art teacher's classroom and I took part in a lesson and I'm a terrible artist and I worked with a table, a group of eight kids and man, I was one of the kids and it was awesome. They loved it. Teacher afterwards told me, man, those kids were so pumped you were in there. And, um, you know, so I think those are types of things that you can do to really influence, influence the school in that regard. Um, but then, you know, you get into things like professional development and things of that nature, which I think we might talk about in a little bit. Um, too. That's, you know, relationships. I think if you have strong relationships in any leadership role, you're going to go far. You're building, you know, the positive energy. The great thing is it grows on people and, it expands, but the other side of it is that negative energy and laziness is also a disease and, and can spread. And it's got to be authentic. You know, it has to be authentic. It has to be real. People have to know yes. that you care. And they people don't know that you care by forcing it. People know that you care because you genuinely care. Because, like, when I got to school, Wes, I walk around and I go through the hallways and I try to connect with as many teachers as I can and just have honest conversations because I honestly do care about Hey, how's your family doing? How's your class doing? Hey, how are you making out with this canvas thing? Um, I, and, and have genuine conversations and actually care because people like to be heard. They like to be known that they care. And, and I do care. I want to know how they, how they, how they are. Reality is if my faculty's not in a good place, my kids aren't going to be in a good place. And oh, so, that's, um, yeah, that's, I mean, 
and let's be honest, the first people that realize something's authentic, kids, even if they're young, I feel like they're the ones that realize it first. They can sniff out fakeness the most. And isn't it great? Isn't it great, Wes? And it happened to me before as a teacher. Isn't it great when a kid calls you out on it? Oh, it's because we're, we're human. We're guilty of, you know, we have bad days and you appreciate it. And you say, you know what? You're, I need to be better. And, yep. and, and, you know, that's happened to me before. And, and, and it's, yeah, you know, relationships are everything. There's that age old adage that, um, people, people don't care what you know until you, they know that you care. And, and I think that's, that's real. Um, and it's authentic and, and it means something. And you have to, you have to, first off, in order to be in education, you have to genuinely, genuinely care about other people. If you're going to be a good teacher, um, you have to be willing to, to eat last. You have to be willing yourself. And, and when you do that, um, people notice that and kids notice it. And, and I think it's pretty powerful. Absolutely. So, you know, with those experiences, what is your advice to young teachers or somebody thinking about, you know, that college kids still deciding if they want to go into education? Well, you know, I think the system does a much better job right now than they used to. It's still not perfect. But now I think kids are required in college to do a lot more hours and do a lot more hours early on in their college experience. Um, when I went to school, I feel like I need 150 shadowing hours, but I don't think we really started until maybe like junior year. And I think, I think kids are jumping on that train a little earlier now. Um, I think it's important to just get leadership to get leadership roles in any Avenue that you can is so important is so essential, you know, whether it's be at a summer camp or whether it be in, in student government or whatever it may be, having the experience to lead, um, learning that it's okay to ask questions. In fact, learning that in some ways it's, it's, it's not okay to not ask questions. Um, I think that's important. I think you have to truly be passionate about something. You know, I used to, when I first graduated from college, I was invited back to your college for a couple of years in a row to talk to um, the kids that were about to start student teaching. And I told them, I said, you know, every single night of student teaching, every single night of your first couple of years of teaching is like you have a major assignment, a major project due the next yeah, that's day. That's brutal. Like, you ha it's brutal, but you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to care. You have to make connections with people. You need to be an effective communicator. You know, there's nothing more frustrating to me than when I speak to a teacher and they tell me that they just don't know how to explain something or they can't, they can't figure out how to communicate something. And my thought is, homeboy, that's your job. <laughs> You're and, and I used to tell this to my kids. I, I used to teach them and say, all right, I want you to, like, if I had my kids explaining an assignment to another kid or explain something they learned, I said, explain it as if you're talking to a third grader. If you can put it in terms that a third grader can understand, you know you have a good understanding of the material. And, um, and so I think that's big. But I, I think you have to be passionate. I think you have to, you have to experience more settings. Um, I think when you're shadowing or when field hour, you know, with 
if you can get involved, what you can do. Can you do a mini lesson? Can you talk for 10 minutes? Can you help grade? You know, get in and get a feel for what it is. Because the reality is when you graduate from college with a secondary education degree, okay, um, in some subject areas, it is going to be really hard to use that college degree for anything but teaching. So you darn well better be sure that's what you want. Great advice. I mean, that's, you know, if you're listening, write this down because I think you pretty much covered everything. And back to that passion, like my last guest I had on my last episode, if you're not willing to lose, lose sleep for it, you're not passionate enough about it. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to do a shame. That's what, what's his title? Staff Sergeant Wright or something like that? Yes. Or Major Wright. That was awesome. That was Absolutely. inspiring to me when I listened to that one. So take a listen to that one if you haven't yet. And I think it's just good. Yeah, you're right. Life lesson. If you're not, I like that quote. If you're not. So let's move a little bit away from like your classroom experiences and the administration side. Let's talk about leadership a little bit to finish up this evening. You know, what is it to you? I'm really passionate about leadership. I think it's fascinating what makes a good leader, why some people are and why some people aren't. Are people born leaders? What is it? What is leadership? I guess what you're asking is what is good That's, leadership? Yes. Let's, what is good leadership? And the first thing it is, is it's authentic. It has to be real. Leadership is being the front man or woman in terms of taking criticism. Leadership is going to bat for those around you. Leadership is honesty. Leadership is passion. It is caring. Leadership is educated decision-making. Leadership is listening. Leadership is empowering all of those around you to do what they do best and guiding them and providing assistance when they go off course. Leadership is picking up that piece of trash that nobody else would think about picking up. Leadership is taking on more than you can handle but getting it done effectively anyways. Leadership is time management. Leadership is fierce conversations at times. Leadership is honesty. You know, one thing I've learned is people appreciate honesty. Um, They may not like it at the time, but people would always rather know where someone stands and where they stand. And, um, you know, I've, 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 I'm 35 years old and I've been eating crow for a long time. I never have a problem admitting when I'm wrong. Um, and I think, I think humility is leadership. I think leadership is, is having a goal and being able, and may, maybe this is what I should cap it off with. Um, leadership is having a goal and having the ability to get others to passionately 
work towards that goal and to support them in achieving that goal. Um, the leader provides direction. The leader provides assistance. But it's up to those other people that are going to make that happen. And I think it's, it's, it's that leader's job to make sure that, that they're able to do whatever they can do to make it happen. You know, my thought is in the classroom setting, um, my job as a leader, my primary function, my primary job is to make sure that my teachers have the ability to do their job to the best of their ability. Okay. So my job is to remove all barriers to that. And, and, you know, if that means that someone's being a knucklehead in the classroom addressing that, if that means that my teachers are not, are not teaching effectively, if they're, if they're struggling in classroom environment, if they're struggling with, with discussion questions, if they're struggling with, with using assessments to inform their decisions, it's my job to get involved and make sure that they have the tools they need to do those things. My job is to provide that professional development, um, to grow those around me. You know, um, I know that, you know, I've talked to other principals and stuff like that. And, and, you know, they ask about, and, and our superintendents talked about this. He said, you know, the best thing we can do, the biggest compliment we can have is to have our assistant principals get hired to be head principals, whether it's here or at another district, because that means we're doing things right here. We are, we are shaping people. And I think, I think that leaders, you know, we, we shape people, we, we shape, we, um, we shape our teachers, our teachers shape our students and our students shape our community and our community, you know, and it all, it all goes that way. So if I can do everything in my power to make it as easy as possible for my teachers to do their job effectively, then I think I'm doing a pretty darn good job. I like that. And I mean, I was going to, you know, go in a little bit more about educational leadership per se, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think leadership transcends all jobs or whatever it may be, whether you're, you work in the business world, in the private sector, or in public education. I think leadership, good leadership is good leadership no matter where it's at. That's true, Wes. And almost every professor I've ever had, and I echo these sentiments, says the same thing. If you want to, lead, if you want to learn about leadership, don't read education leadership. Read business. Read sports. Absolutely. John um, Maxwell. That – John Maxwell's terrific. He's terrific. Simon um, Sinek. You know, I just um, I just read a book called um, True North. Um, I read another one called Authentic Leadership by the same author. His name escapes me right now. Um, I can't remember. I'll let you know after this podcast. You put in your notes or whatever. Um, but, but you know, good leadership is good. Lead- you know, John Wooden. Yeah. Mike Krzyzewski. These are guys that, I mean, John Wooden was a teacher. Mike Krzyzewski is a teacher, you know. And that's the reality, too, Wes. Uh-huh. All the isn't it true? Absolutely. Right? Unless aren't you work all, for yourself and only yourself. Aren't all good leaders teachers? Absolutely. Aren't they? They all have that, that you personality know? where they could step into a classroom. Their classroom is their, you know, their factory or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so I, I think Yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah, I think you covered that that well um in that statement. So I want to end the podcast to promote your podcast. Tell us about it. I love the fact that you're getting into it. More and more people, I think, need to get in the podcasting world. I think it's the future of communication as far as, you know, interacting with each other. It's basically, you know, the modern form of radio. 
Well, first off, I do greatly appreciate that, and I would be amiss if I would be remiss if I did not say that the the primary influence for me in terms of getting into podcasting was you. Um, you know, you put yourself out there and, and encouraged me to listen to yours, and I liked it. And uh, probably within a week of of really tapping into your podcast, and I was gonna I was gonna throw my own out there. So I do appreciate that. Uh, my podcast, um, it's called the Dull Cast, D U L L C A S T. And um, it focuses on smart, honest, and fun talk for the educated and modern individual. Um, it's not solely based on education. Um, it's really more of a self-help slash um, modern issues type discussion podcast. Um, the first podcast that I just had um, dealt with, um, you know, how to return to normalcy during this during this crazy time that we're in right now with COVID-19. Um, but, you know, we'll be focusing on education, business, money, cooking, all types of different things that either I have gone through and experienced and have bettered from or that I know others have. Um, I hope to get some interviews on um, with experts in, in fields. Um, and so that's that's kind of the focus of my podcast. Certainly education will be a will be a factor, but um, it's not the primary it's not the primary focus of the of the dull cast. Very cool. And so if you're listening, make sure you check out the Dogcast. You know, we're both in our infancy with this podcasting thing. We're rookies, you know, we're, we're working towards it, but it's, you know, it, it's taken, it's taken people places. It's given, you know, like you said, during these tough times, people something to listen to something different for a change. So to end, it's supposed to be baseball season right now. We're struggling through it without having any baseball. Top baseball movie of all time. It's the natural, Wes. It's the natural. The greatest to ever do it. Uh, Roy Hobbs. So I know you may disagree, but that's where I stand. Okay. I, I probably would say, you know, I'm a big Sandlot guy, but it's hard to argue with the natural. So, hey, thank you for joining us this, tonight. Um, <laughs> I look forward to having you on again in the future to break down and discuss other things involved with leadership and education, but appreciate it. Thanks for, Thanks for Thanks joining for... us. All right, Wayne. Bye. Thank you for enjoying this episode of the Edge Lounge, where we interviewed tech integrator from the high school level, Diane Savat, and also a big shout out to Cody French, whose music you heard in the introduction, and a little bit of music coming from him here at the end. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you soon.